0: Hey guys, Zach here, and I wanted to let you guys know that Fieldwork is brought to you in part by General Mills. General Mills is partnering with farmers and suppliers to advance regenerative ag practices on a million acres of farmland by 2030.
1: Hey everyone, welcome back to the Fieldwork Podcast. My name is Mitchell Hora.
0: And I am Zach Johnson. This is the Fieldwork Podcast where we talk about sustainable egg practices, what's working, what's not working. I think that's what we're doing here. We also kind of go off the cuff. We do pen drops when we say something really cool.
1: That's a new thing that uh, we're going to introduce into this episode here Um, and talk about a lot of new stuff, you know. So today's episode, we're going to talk about third crops. And uh, Zach, you and I are in hardcore corn and soybean territory. When people talk about other crops, uh, we talk about different maturity corn. And that is about it. Yeah, Maybe my little sweet corn patch, um, that is like a couple hundred feet.
0: If your sweet corn patch is like mine, it's the one that you really grow for the raccoons. That's to right. come out and eat. So you don't really get any yourself. But yeah, we're sitting here in the upper Midwest. Corn and soybean country. Uh, there isn't a lot of other markets, a lot of other places to go with other crops. Of course, we see a little bit of it trying to kind of come across now, and we're going to talk about some of that. But we, we do see some of the other options coming along, especially when it comes to cover crops and guys trying to make that work. Um, hemp has been a big topic now that it is federally and state legal here in Minnesota. Not We've got Iowa a, quite
1: yet. Not That's Iowa quite on. yet. Yeah. This whole different crop deal is wide open. Um, There's a lot of infrastructure that has to be made and a lot of market that has to be produced. But I think when it comes back to improving water quality, um, implementing, you know, the five principles of soil health, um, diversity is one of those items. Keeping the ground covered is one of those basic principles of soil health um, and, of course, not disturbing the soil. So I think this hits on a lot of those topics and excited to dig into that here today um, to expand upon some of the stuff that we've been thinking about and we'll tie into other episodes
0: uh, we've got uh uh, darren voigt here he's a farmer from from minnesota and we've got nick jordan from the university of minnesota here uh he's got an initiative that he's been working on to try and figure out how to make some of these third crop options viable so uh it's good to see those guys here glad to see you guys thank you for being here how are you doing today
2: Mm, just great thanks for having us good
1: yeah thanks for inviting um why don't each of you give us a little background on yourselves And a little intro, especially as it pertains to integrating the third
2: crop. Well, Darren, why don't you go first?
3: All right. Uh, I grew up on the family farm. I still live there. I live in the home place. I farm with three brothers, dad, nephews, nieces, a bunch of us. Anyway, so we're corn, soybeans, um, alfalfa, sweet corn, peas. We have cattle, uh, beef cattle, um, all the way through to finish. And we'd also have a sideline business. How did you put that?
2: Um, moving hog manure around. Yeah, I'm a for,
3: I'm a hog waste technician. There you, <laughs> go. There you go. Fertility manager. So Fertility manager. Fancy. That
1: sounds better. Yeah. That's awesome. So now we've so, been
3: experienced with other, you know, off the mainstream crops.
1: So very cool. How long have you been trying some of those other things?
3: Uh, quite a while we've always been peas and sweet corn just because it fits in good with the cattle rotation so we did cover crab last couple of years kind of experiment with that and that's kind of opening us up to a lot
1: of stuff too so very cool well thanks yeah we'll dig into that here as we go but nick give us a little background on
2: what you're working on thank you mitchell so i'm nick jordan i am a professor in the agronomy and plant genetics department at the university of minnesota And I uh, work as part of a very large network of people in the Midwest called the Forever Green Initiative, and we are trying to come up with economically viable crops that make money for not just farmers, but everybody else in the supply chain. So we're very interested in cash cover crops, what we call cash cover crops, and these are what they sound like. And so... Um, we are working in this Forever Green Initiative project to develop a couple of winter-hardy oilseed crops, one of which is a brand-new crop called pennycress, but it's derived from the weed pennycress that you guys are familiar with. I, I was going to say, yeah,
1: pennycress is not a new crop for us. We've been killing it for a long time.
2: <laughs> well, that's right. That's right.
1: <laughs> or trying. <laughs> yeah, trying to or
2: trying. <laughs> But uh, so our plant breeders have a new variety of pennycress that has oil that is just like the oil from canola. We're very interested in winter peas, although they're not really hardy in the upper Midwest just yet. We have a winter barley that is almost reliably hardy in Minnesota. Uh, Also, a perennial grain that is called intermediate wheatgrass, or sometimes it's called kernza. Uh, We're working quite closely with General Mills trying to develop um, markets and products for that. And then we're also interested in doing new things with old crops. So alfalfa, for example, is a very interesting crop if we look ahead in the future for plant protein. It also has potential to be used in things like aquaculture feed. Let's jump back to Darren for
0: a second. Uh, Darren, my understanding is that you've got some some a lot of experience with third crop options. A lot of that is is sort of tied in with your cattle operation. Can you explain to us a little bit about what you've done with, with as far as third crops and what you're growing and, and how that's worked for you and your operation? Uh, we started,
3: well, back years ago when like small grains kind of went out, wasn't a lot of option. The vegetable option come in. Yep. And it worked out really well because the peas, we generally plant, we get the later, or the earlier planted peas, but they come off early. So then it gives us a chance to do like a, a winter rye, uh, maybe get rid of some manure. Um, and then early fall when the wean calves, it gives us a green basic pasture to put cattle onto, which basically is a whole second crop to the peas, because we never did the peas that were early enough for soybeans, and sometimes that's a hit and miss if you can follow peas behind, or beans behind peas. But in um, the sweet corn, we always had the later stuff, so then that would give us, let's say, the winter rye we planted this fall would green up in the spring, and we'd calve on it or graze on it, and then the sweet corn would go in towards the end of June. So we could graze that up to that point there again, apply manure to it, get it worked up, ready for uh, the sweet corn. So it'd kind of double crop
1: both yeah, that. So, it worked out real well. So wheat kind of as a cover crop, but you're going to pasture on it, then you're going to harvest that, then plant the corn, sweet corn.
3: Uh, we'd never har- usually harvest. It's rye, winter rye. Oh, winter rye. And we never usually harvest it. Just graze it the down. cattle. The cattle oh, harvest see. it. Cool.
1: And then what, what are you typically planting after those peas? Instead of you said you could do a double crop and do soybeans afterwards, but we do you doing
3: we're doing the winter rye right after the peas. Right after the peas, okay. Yep.
1: Then you got that greening up in the fall, right? Because that takes, and in the spring,
3: right? Because that'll come back in the spring, and it's it actually is kind of strange. That it greens up when it's still snow on the ground. You know, as soon as it gets our first warm, it'll start greening up. So when it's a place to put the cows right away to get them eating on something and.
0: So that, that rye must take off as early as you're getting it planted right after the peas then. So are you able to put the cattle on that in the fall? Oh, yeah. In yep. the fall end in the spring? Early
3: September. We'll probably okay. maybe get a month behind it, you know, the month of August. And then it's
1: pretty greened up and pretty ready to go for them. And... That's awesome. Yeah. Provides a lot of options. And I think we hear that a lot with guys with cattle too. You know, you definitely get some more options. You got other ways of being able to make a dollar off of it besides trying to take it to actual harvest and uh so that's pretty cool that you got some options and whatnot there so nick how's that tie into things that you've been working on
2: we're not trying to displace corn and soybeans which are obviously wonderful and globally essential crops we're trying to add to corn and soybeans in the same way that i heard you talking about darren so, obviously, the agronomy of fitting these third crops into the mix is um, is a little tricky. There obviously needs to be the, um, you, Mitchell, you mentioned that the infrastructure that we have is, you know, largely geared to corn and beans. There needs to be infrastructure for these new crops as well. There has to be ways of making products that the world wants to buy out of this stuff. And there have to be... Um, you know, end-use markets to want to buy this stuff. So that all adds up to a chicken and egg problem. And what we are doing that's very interesting is trying to um, go forward to cautiously, um, you know, try to figure out each one of those missing links in the chain.
0: Glad that, that you brought that up, Nick, at the end there about having the markets to go with this kind of stuff. Because as somebody who puts myself out there on a lot, online a lot, I get a lot of comments yeah, absolutely. about why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Why don't you plant sunflowers or alfalfa or, or, you know, plant a thousand acres of hemp? And and it all comes back to, it has to work economically, number one, with your operation. Number two, the biggest thing is there has to be somewhere to take that. You know, I can't plant a crop that that doesn't have a market and, and I'm not going to drive halfway across the country to bring it somewhere or it's not economical. So Amen. we have to figure out if we're going to do those kinds of things, how to make that work when it comes to boots on the ground in the field—the reality of actually getting farming done, aside from just you know reading the great stuff on Google about what we can do with cover crops—we we have to get it to work with the art of farming
1: and Amen. not just the data.
2: Now, can I say one other real quick thing? And that is, that no, we have... no. <laughs> We also we stick think, to
1: a very strict schedule <laughs> on the fieldwork podcast. Did he say
0: can or may I?
1: <laughs>
0: That's a good point. My teachers always hounded me
2: on that well, in the school
3: because I don't know if he can say something short because he's a wealth analyst. I know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> All right, I'm going to try to be quick with this. And that is that there's another kind of market that has to be developed. We think, and that is a market by which farmers get compensated for the environmental benefits that they create through their farming, and so. Um, One of the things that we think is important is we've seen a lot of big rainfall in the Midwest lately, increasing pattern of that. And we have, um, you know, some serious issues with flooding that ties with those big rainfalls. Agriculture has the ability to hold on to water and to do that in a very significant way and to charge society for that. Another good example is the metro uh, the metro area of Minnesota is expanding. They're either going to have to build expensive new wastewater treatment plants, or they probably could save themselves a fair bit of money by working with farmers to hold on to those same nutrients. And working out those markets is is not as important as the main commodity markets, but those are that's an important part of the whole deal, too.
1: Well, Nick, any of that uh, nutrient, though, that you're leaving that comes right down to Iowa to me,
2: <laughs> we'll take it.
1: Uh, Darren, jumping back to you now,
0: as somebody who has worked with third crop options and who's, who's done this on his farm, you know, beyond just the data, you've actually had your boots on the ground and and worked with some of this. What are some of the benefits that you've seen and what are some of the the successes that you've personally had on your farm working with third crops and, and making them work for you?
3: Well, one big thing is like you alluded to is the erosion. If you go by, you know, in the spring of the year when everything's running off, you go by a field that's winter rye coming the snow is clean in the ditches. The water coming off, it's clean. That's, so that's a huge thing. We're not giving away our soil to you guys in Iowa. That's an Iowa. <laughs> We're keeping it. Yeah. Anyway, and then, uh, but other than that, it's just soil health. Soil health is huge. When you get, you know, you always have something out there. Some roots in the ground, something growing, something taking in the sunshine, is huge for the biology in the in the soil and soil health. And like I said, it. A lot of these crops don't necessarily are financially effective. But a lot of times it's what follows behind it that is more than makes up for what, you know, the benefit it left behind is consumed by the following corn crop or soybean crop.
0: There's a longer-term benefit it, it, rather than an immediate financial return. Oh, right. There's a, yeah. a longer-term benefit for you on your farm.
1: Well, but it looks like, you know, your way to ease into creating some of these other crops was you found a couple of crops that could be very economically viable for you, though, in the short term, But it takes a lot of labor. It takes a lot of other adjustments, I think, to do some of the crops that you're talking about, integrating with, as far as sweet corn and peas and whatnot. There's certain kind of infrastructure that you have to have versus some of the new crops that you're talking about, Nick, that maybe fit in a little bit more to our current situation versus changing as many variables as what you guys had to do on your farm. And sounds like there's enough people helping to get all the work done, but it takes a lot of infrastructure and maybe some time. So how did that... Process maybe start as far as starting into the sweet corn and the be the peas and that kind of stuff.
3: Well, they come they come around looking for growers on the sweet corn and peas side. So we jumped in thinking about the other benefits of it. But there's a chance that they're kind of pulling out this year now because they closed down the Rochester, Minnesota, Seneca. But so they will. We're still going to do. We're still going to do stuff. You know, we're going to do oats because we need the straw for the cattle. And there again, the oats. You pencil it and it doesn't pencil out, but the following two years, three years of corn crop or soybeans, is huge. I mean, it's more than makes up for the what you've lost by besides the fact of needing the crop.
0: What do you notice? I mean, what when you say it's huge? What are the benefits that you see from that? What what well, are you getting from the oats?
3: Last year, just an example. Last year we went out in a field of cover crop. You know, it was oats and stuff we had the year before or, and then rye and then rye come back in the spring. We went out there to the planter and we planted it on a day when there was no planters going in the neighborhood mm-hmm. because it just had rained. But it was our first field. I was like, well, let's get out there. Let's try it. Make sure the planter's all going to work. Well, see, there's no mud to stick to your tires. Right. We didn't do tillage. Yeah. And then that corn, it never skipped a beat. It might've been a couple weeks before we got back in. That was a, we did three no-till fields and that was our best field. Was the one that followed behind the. So, I mean, it don't have to just be any kind of cash crop to it, but that part right there was huge.
1: It just then, had more of the, like, the water infiltration, maybe a little bit better structure from right. the living roots that were out there.
3: It won't seal up. You know, yeah. it won't get a, that hard rock, hard top, like nope. if you push a normal field that you did tillage on. So, that's huge. You're just the ability to go out, you know, every plant come up, and you, dig, you go out and dig when I couldn't believe when I started going. I went back to see if my depth and spacing was right. It's just, it's so mellow. It's not muddy. It's just it's wet, but it wasn't, it it is really neat. It was a neat experience.
1: Really awesome. So now, okay, so what's your thoughts on a variety of these other crops? So it sounds like you might have to change things up. Do you think you need some of these other kind of things now too? Or what's, what's some of your goals, I suppose, on your farm, you know, as you look into the future here?
3: Well, I think a big thing is, is we're going to try to get into, like aerial seeding or trying to get cover crop in the row crop, so when that row crop comes off, it gives us um, both grazable and just soil health to always have something growing out there, something going. And we're always open for other things like he'd mentioned, but like like uh, Zach said that you there's got to be a place for them. You can't unless you can graze them. There you well, go. Well, Al- alfalfa, uh, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. No, we do alfalfa. Yep. Yeah. And that's that's really good for the soil too. The, You know, the nitrogen it puts back in the
1: soil, and it just totally changes the structure of it. For sure. That's cool. So for me, down in southeast Iowa, obviously, we don't have other crops hardly at all. I mean, maybe a little bit of alfalfa for some guys with cattle, but there's not much. What I'm doing in order to try to integrate some of this stuff is to do some relay cropping with it. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to try some of it this year where we've got wheat. So we have cover crop on pretty much everything. Um, that we farm. This is our fourth year with that. And what I'm going to do is I've got winter wheat out there on most of our acres for cover crop because it just worked. It was available um, instead of cereal rye. But I'm going to actually drill my soybeans into some of the wheat and then try to harvest that wheat off in the summer with my soybeans coming up and going and then they'll be growing and hopefully be really great come the fall. So doing that, because for me, um, part of our holdup on integrating a different crop, especially a cereal crop, is just the revenue per acre is not there. So and we have land expense of easily 250 bucks, some of my stuff that I that I bought, you know, I'm paying back a mortgage on it. That's 450 bucks an acre a year. So I got to make some serious cash coming in in order to just get close to breaking even on my farm. I'm not getting close to breaking even because that's Buying a new farm, it's kind of the way it is for the first quite a while. But aren't, uh, aren't I don't all know, farmers don't... rich? Um, well, I'd like to meet the ones who are because we're not getting it off.
0: Nick, uh, Nick you, you mentioned you work with the uh, Forever Green Initiative mm-hmm. in trying mm-hmm. to get things going and get some of this stuff actually working for farmers. Do you have any success stories or things or ways that, that you've had success actually making that happen? And, and And I guess the second part of that is how can... Farmers help with that, or what can farmers do? I mean, how do we mm. how do we really get that that those markets going so that mm-hmm. these options can become available mm-hmm. to
2: mm-hmm. us? Mm-hmm. Well, I have to be completely candid with you guys that there are um, that the markets for everything that I talked about are emerging. So, in other words, the production areas that we have are limited in size, but we are figuring out how to grow the stuff and you know the point is that nobody should be taking any big risks obviously with this stuff and so in a very risk managed way we're trying to roll this stuff out we are trying to create a few areas where we can grow enough of these crops that the um The world can experiment with building the supply chain stuff, the supply chain infrastructure that's needed to get these to markets. We are also trying to create these areas. We call them pilot supply chain projects, for lack of a better term, Um, because, you know, obviously for all this to get off the ground, it can't be farm by farm. It has to be a concentrated area. So we're trying to put these in places where there are some concerns with drinking water protection also in certain parts of rural Minnesota that have to do with nitrates. And the ability of of this perennial uh, grain crop to, uh, we think, uh, keep some of those nitrates from getting into the drinking water sources. So that's, again, a matter of you You have to have a certain amount of it in a given place to see if that works or not. So we know
0: we know the work that you've been doing, Nick, <clears throat> with Forever Green. And we know, Darren, you've you've got third crop options that have been working for you on your farm. What do you have, Darren, as as somebody who's made this successful on his farm? What do you have for advice for farmers to to make this work? You know, like for me. And, and well, Mitchell's got some other stuff going on, but, but for myself, we're, we're all corn and soybeans right now at this point, because as we've talked about, that's what the, the markets are calling for. That's what works out economically for us. What kind of advice would you have for a farmer like me who would be interested in potentially getting into, a, you know, a viable third, fourth crop option?
3: Well, I would say this, like everything, we know nowadays we don't believe everything we hear or... Should believe very little probably so don't take my word for it you do it try it on a small piece try 20 acres it ain't going to make or break It ain't going to make you 450 an acre like you need to make but <laughs> but just try it on a small piece and see what it is that's what we did we tried on a small piece and like you know like take let's say take a field and divide it in half and do cover crop in half not on half or do oats on a little strip and you know because if you take 100 acre field and you put a 10 acre strip of oats even if you're just going to throw it away see what the results are next year. Sure. You know, because the market can fluctuate that much in two days, what you're going to lose on 20 acres out of whatever you farm total. Right. But just try it. Try it for yourself. Maybe it's not your thing. Maybe you'll excel above most people on it. But that's that's what I would say is try it and see what you notice. Just study it. And don't do it. None of this stuff you can do one year and be like, yeah, that was a joke. What's Darren's phone number and you need to call him? <laughs> but do it two, three years in a row do the same piece and see what you start noticing. You'll notice your your, your nitrogen needs are going to drop. You'll notice your fertilizer needs are going to drop. You know, you might might bump your following yield 10%, but your nitrogen needs might go down a third to half what they were. But just try it. Everybody's is different. Everybody's got a different way about doing it. You'll never do it the same in the second year as you did the first. You'll learn, but that's what I think is interesting. Just
1: try it. Have you had a lot of... People in your neighborhood and whatnot that are out there trying a lot of stuff too or are not as much as what they really should be.
3: I would say since the no the the uh prevent plan here a few years back, more people are trying it because they've seen what it did the following year. There's more people doing that. There's a guy in the area who used to do just crop dusting, now he's flies on. He flies out a lot of rye, a lot of different cover crops in the fall. There's a lot of people trying it, but on the same side of it. It doesn't do a lot of good to do a cover crop and then the next year go in and just till it all up and start fresh. Just leave it go. Let its roots do its thing for a few years to see what happens. And but yeah, there's there's people trying it. I don't think if I don't think it's for everybody either. Some people just can't stand seeing that piece not tilled under, turn to corn, turn to beans. How am I gonna make money? You know, but it takes time.
0: So when when you talk about just try it. 10, 20 acres, 30 acres, whatever. The first place my head goes is is a, is somewhere that non-farmers probably don't understand as, as easily is the fact that I'm not equipped to just try 20 acres of oats. you know I, I'm equipped to plant 2,500 acres of corn and soybeans as efficiently as possible. so I don't have the stuff to plant oats or these cover crops or whatever. So do do you have any advice? I mean, what did you do when you first got into it? Maybe you were equipped, but um, Nick had talked a little bit too about getting the areas going and and getting farmers to work together to get this going. Do you have experience with that? I mean, did you you hire a neighbor who had the right equipment to put oats in? Or, or, you know, how do you go about that? Actually, at
3: first, all we did is had the elevator come out, put a little bit of potash with your rye seed, have them blow it on, then till it lightly in. Which takes nothing. I mean, as far as sure, everybody tills their ground. Yeah, scratch it in. a little Everybody bit. has an elevator that comes out and spreads. Just so it was just a broadcast
0: application. You know, okay. And then work,
3: you don't have to work it in, but as long as you have the ability to, it's better. Sure. But and then you could you could do. You know, get to the point where you grow cover crops for your neighbors. You know, if you're, I'm sure every area of the country, cover crops are kind of taken on. And some people dabbling with it. Well, if you use your 20 acres to grow seed for 10 other farmers. Then you don't need a market for it because they'll come to you and get it. And the other the the nice thing about that is when you harvest it, if they're gonna do the same way of spreading it as you did, just broadcast it. You don't need to have clean seed. You don't need to send it to a cleaner. Sure. Just put it in a bin and sell it out of there for farmers. Just
0: you know, that's one Can way you to Just try leave it. all the, the cocklebur and the water hemp seeds in there. Oh, and yeah. Sell it to the neighbors. Oh yeah. <laughs>
3: well, sell it. He's. Uh, they're making it. No, you just cocklebur, hiola cocklebur. You said
2: Lake cocklebur? Uh, hiola cocklebur. Hiola well, cocklebur. Oh, right. we're working but on I mean, pennycress. Oh, pennycress. <laughs> right. But My great, God. great idea. We'll get on it. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> Marketing cockleburrs. I like it. That's hilarious. Well, any other kind of last minute thoughts and whatnot before we before we wrap up today? A lot of really good conversation. Maybe especially places that uh, we can go to get some more information and carry on the conversation mm. um, from mm. today's. Uh, brief intro into this topic? Mm
2: -hmm. Well, we've got a website, naturally, Mitchell, for the Forever Green. Um, I think you guys are aware that we have now this Minnesota Office of Soil Health, and that's a pretty good resource as well. Um, But uh, I, I think that one of the things that you guys are putting on the table here is the importance of farmer, um, inventor, innovator kind of activity. In other words, um, figuring out both how you do this stuff in a particular place, in a particular soil, and um, in a particular farming situation, and starting to build out the um, ability in a community what, you guys are t- what you're talking about, about, you know, providing seed and, you know, you've got a little bit of a business going, you know, that kind of farmer-driven activity is going to be completely necessary to this, this business of some diversification in our Midwest agriculture. So I would want to really underscore the importance of that.
3: I a lot of times follow the mindset, if you want what everybody else has, do what everybody else does.
0: And if you look around, sometimes you don't want that. So mm, yeah. you got to do something different. Yeah. Well, so I've been trying, but how do I get a really sweet beard like that? That's <laughs> that <apply? should>
1: definitely <laughs> something that you need. I can't do it at all. <laughs> I know. I, this
0: is as good as it gets.
1: Fertilizer. Fertilizer.
3: Fertilizer.
2: Time. Time. There you go. <laughs> you have the
3: co-op spread it? Yeah, you can have them blend it and spread it. Stand oh. there and
1: smile as they come by. <laughs> <laughs>
2: is
1: that like a spray tan kind of thing? Is that how those work too? It's a spray beard. A spray chia beard. beard. <laughs> chia beard. <laughs> that is awesome. Get yours uh, online, Amazon. <laughs> Amazon. It's a, any local uh, distributor near you. There you go. Is chia a viable third cover crop option? That's what we need right there. If it's high oil, <laughs> high oil, high, protein. Protein. high beard oil. Chia <laughs> beard right. oil, chia <laughs> organic. That's gotta be organic. Oh well, of course. That is hilarious. Well, so if you want uh, more info on chia beards, uh, you can find that online. Darren can help help you out with that. But uh, any more info and whatnot on us, you know, we'll have some of these links queued up at the fieldwork uh, website, on our social media pages, whatnot, of course as well. But Zach, a, another good episode here today.
0: Yeah, really. Really good episode. Thank you guys for, for coming in here. Another interesting topic. Another one that, I mean, we could just roll on this for hours, I feel like. You know, it's it's it's, it's fun to sit here and, and talk about this kind of stuff. It's easier than actually going and doing it. Well,
1: I think a lot of, you know, my takeaway from this is that there's not a lot of hardcore secured answers in this space yet, but there's a lot of work that's being done, a lot of things that we have to figure out. But I think as farmers, we realize that we've got to do something different. You know, Darren, like you said, that if you can't just keep doing what everyone else is doing and keeping the status quo and keep being a price taker instead of going out there and making a change. So um, we hope we encourage you to try some new things and and to do some research and to do a little thinking about your operation as you're listening to this podcast here today Um, and thinking about how you can change and where you want to be in the next 10, 20, 40 years, and and even after that, as future generations are farming your ground as well. Uh, Thanks, everyone, who made the Fieldwork Podcast possible here today. Amy Scotchless-Cole, Annie Baxter, Dan Ackerman, Lauren Humpert, Todd Melby, Laura Doherty, and uh, everyone else here at American Public Media.
0: Our theme song is written and performed by Johnny Vince Evans.
1: We're so official. We have a theme song. I love it. Go to fieldworktalk.org, learn more about what we're up to. You can see the video and uh, check out how beautiful we are on YouTube and uh, you can see Darren's beard on YouTube as well. Go check that out uh, at Fieldwork Talk on YouTube. You can also follow us on Fieldwork Talk on Twitter and Facebook.
0: And if you're a good speller, you can uh, check out Mitchell and I on our personal Twitter sites. That's at farmmillennial and at LLC. I, I know sure. the number one thing for me, the most difficult thing for me when people try to find me online, is to figure out how to spell millennial.
1: But see, as a millennial, we have spell check. Yes. To tell us, so we don't actually have to know how to spell millennial.
0: So it's the it's the older guys trying to find us that don't know how to
1: older use spell check. Older guys who don't have spell check mm-hmm. just. I got a question. You're going to be searching for a while.
3: You talk about finding you. How do you get uh, millennial millennial farmer to quit popping up on my YouTube search. Oh no!
1: Once you do, it, once you are getting <laughs> spammed yeah. forever.
0: I have infiltrated yeah. your technology. Yep. And uh, you will never be free again. Zach
1: works with uh. the Russians closely. Collusion. So, oh. That's probably part of it. I will officially put you under investigation. Yep. <laughs> that would be good. We appreciate that. I'm terrified
0: of what might turn
1: up. And now. on the next episode of the Fieldwork Podcast, the black coats come into Zach's farm. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Thanks, everyone, for listening uh, to the episode today. Um, Make sure that you leave us a review and uh, subscribe.
0: That's right. Let's make this thing blow up. Uh, Until the next episode, guys, thank you very much for listening.